Ah, serendipity. Few feelings are more beautiful than the feeling arousing from serendipity. Perhaps it's because serendipitous moments are mostly unexpected. Well, my guest today thinks you can design spaces, environments, and occasions to trigger serendipity. Hey guys, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm Timothy Maurice, your behavioral psychology author. Today, I speak to David Adler, the founder of events company Biz Bash, the host of the podcast Gather Geeks, and the author of the wonderful book, Harnessing Serendipity. If you are a person who thrives off of goosebump moments in life, and you know you deserve more, then stay locked in. Enjoy. David, welcome. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to be talking with you. You know, one of the things I really love about this podcast, I've had this podcast for about eight years, and we have listeners in about 33 countries. And I always like to ask my guests, where are you? I'm in Washington, D.C. I just moved back to Washington after 35 years in Manhattan in New York City. Oh, lovely, lovely. And are you enjoying being back? In Washington, I am. I'm enjoying being back, and um, I have gotten over the fact that I haven't driven in 35 years, so I'm now I'm now <laughs> safer on the roads than I was when I first got here. <laughs> nice, lovely, lovely. All right, David. Well, I'm looking forward to a conversation with you about your work with serendipity. You know, I I'm really really fascinated by the topic and your background in general, and uh, before we dive in, I have a feature called Inside Your Mind, where I get a chance to peel back your brain and go inside your mind and ask you seven questions where you're going to get two options and you can only choose one. Can we do that? Go for it. All right. Number one, jogging alone or with a group? Jogging alone. Strawberries. Or blueberries? Blueberries because they're better for you, theoretically. (laughs) (laughs) Better for your brain, too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Toronto or London? I happen to love Toronto. Mm, Same here. I have a huge affinity for Toronto. I went to a Toronto basketball game with a good friend of mine who was dating one of the players a couple years ago, which was very, very interesting. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Horror or comedy? Comedy. Online meeting or in person? In person. (laughs) Salt or pepper? Salt. And then our final question. Drums or piano? Mm, I think piano, to be honest. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, David, thank you so much for allowing us to go inside your mind. Hopefully that wasn't too painful. I think it's scary for you if it went further. (laughs) (laughs) So... Again, I appreciate you making the time. Your team reached out to me and immediately I was like, this is a conversation I would absolutely love to have. 
Tell us why it was necessary for you to write this book. Why you? Well, it's very interesting. For So I started a society magazine in Washington, D.C. in when I graduated college. The first month after I graduated college, I was 21 years old. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so And I ended up having all these – people thought, first of all, they thought I was a maitre d' because I would come home every night in black tie. In my building, they thought I was a maitre d', and I don't think I ate anything that wasn't on the other side of a toothpick for about, you know, five years. Um, but I was talking to all of these politicians, these top-level politicians, and, you know, one of their best skill sets were, or was being an event organizer. And I realized the power of event organizing and how important it is as part of this job of to be connecting with people is that you have to know how to connect each other. And so they, they really understood it. And so I, and when I, I sold my society magazine, I said, you know, there's really room for somebody to get into the space of letting people know how to do events and allowing people to peek over the fence to see what other people are doing so that they don't do boring, terrible events. I and, see. and over uh, the last 22 years of being in BizBash, I realized how many people didn't do it well. So yes, I decided yes, that yes. event organizers cannot just be event organizers, event organizers. They have to be collaboration artists. They have to know uh, how to connect people. And it's yes. not just random. Harnessing serendipity is very, very non-serendipitous. Yes, because yes, you yes. have to be the guy that at least creates the room where the serendipity can happen. Yep. When you Got it. it. <clears throat> and then you have to create the tactics that allow people to talk to each other. Like Whenever I do a speech now, I start off by saying, you know, the most powerful word in the English language is the word let's. Because whenever someone mm. gets together, they say, let's go to dinner. Let's go to lunch. Let's hook up. Let's start a revolution. So it has mm. to start with that. And in order to do that, you have to let people talk to each other. So what I do with all my speeches for the first 10 minutes, I say, okay, it's not about me. I want you to stand up and talk to each other. And all of a sudden, there's there are business deals that has happened. There's relationships that are formed. You're activating an audience. All of a sudden, those you know, it's a thousand or there's there's maybe hundreds. You're making multiple levels of conversation. So I judge an event not by how many people attend, but how many conversations you're curating. And it's not as easy to do as people think. So you have to do all of these um, uh, techniques. And uh, the funny thing is, I did my launch party the other night. And it's it's about collaboration, right? What happens when people are together? They collaborate. So collaboration yep. and serendipity all go together. But when I realized that we were talking to the caterer and we said, you know, these what are we going to serve? And then we talked about how food collaborate, <laughs> food peanut butter and jelly have been working together forever. <laughs> <laughs> Ham and grits work well in the south. Uh, yeah. You know, Eggs and blankets or yep. nerves. So, you know, it's sort of a metaphor for the fact that, that, that things, when they gel, they really gel. Um, so you need to have lots of techniques and, and little things to get people to talk to each other. You, do you remember your first sort of magical, serendipitous moment in your career? Well, you know, the funny, this is not the first moment, but I went to an event. Um, and it, it it's a um it's called a bris and it's done in Judaism. And oh wow. You know that one, right? Where they celebrate yeah. cutting the foreskin. <laughs> mm, <laughs> and mm. and it's it's an awful experience for men. 
Yes. So I went to a breast of a frame, a friend of mine, and I did not like that part. So I go to the back of the room and to another room, and and someone asked me what I'm doing, and I raised four million dollars for my new company in the back of a bris. Wow. And that's serendipity. Wow. I mean, that's that is serendipity. And so that is incredible. My whole life has been, in fact, everyone tells me you never really plan. I mean, Mm. you talked about how your career changed from the, uh, from COVID. I mean, there's the serendipitous things that happened to you probably, and you probably have a million stories in your head right now. And everyone is thinking about that serendipitous story about how they met that person or how they got that job or how they, Oh my God, I didn't expect this to happen. And so you have to figure out a way to do that. But event organizers who are collaboration artists create the scene to allow that to happen naturally. Wherever you're listening, I'd like for you to share what is your language's version of serendipity. So if you are in Japan or you speak Mandarin or you're wherever you are, I'd love to to know how it sort of translates. You know, when I was thinking, I was like, well, what do you think it is that keeps people well, from collaborating? Um, they don't have permission to talk to each other. Uh, like, I'll go, uh, what about, you know, I don't know about you, but I go to a movie or I go to a dinner party. I'm a guy. Like, I won't even have eye contact with the person next to me. Because I like, as a fear of like not having to talk to somebody. But if someone says, okay, talk to the person next to you, you gay. Oh, hi. How are you? So it's permission to engage. And especially with our, our gadgets and our, you know, people need to be reminded that they can talk to somebody else. And my God, it may not be as terrible as you think. It is the hardest thing in the room to do to go up to somebody you don't know and say, hello, my name is David Adler. Right. Mm, I mean, mm. people have fear of that. They, they, they mm. fear. And you know what? Everybody's in the same boat. So that's, you know, one of the things I do as a collaboration artist is I'm bringing back the receiving line because people need to feel like they're welcome too. This stuff that I'm talking about is not brain surgery. It's we just yes. don't think about doing it at the right moments. And it takes a little extra effort to do to get people to talk in the speech. Whenever I see a long line at a coat check at my events, I go talk to everyone in that long line. Oh, and I wow. use an opportunity to engage people. I welcome people into my speeches. I don't wait till I get on stage. And, you know, the secret of that is it makes me not nervous. You know, the official def- definition of serendipity is the occurrence and development of events by chance in a happy or beneficial way. Let's talk about hacking serendipity. What are some ways that you've seen, whether it's phraseology, whether it is energy, whether it is a specific type of permission, um, you know, design, whether it is spaces, it's, let's talk, it's let's talk, spaces. let's try to get it's, it's also like, we just, I just came from doing something called an unconference. Oh, okay. An unconference is when you have no idea what the sessions are at your conference until you get there and you do it with the people in the room and you do it by circling the chairs as opposed to sitting back to back and getting people to know each other. And, and that is how, 
um, the serendipity kind of happens in that you're planning it together. An event should never start when the event starts officially. It has to start when you get the, when you're going to plan it. Cause you're going to start talking to people and say, what do you think I should do with this event? What are your ideas? It's collaborate that when you hack collaboration, it's just asking, you don't, you know, we're all insecure, right? We think, no, but this will never work. So you got to go talk to somebody else to say, well, is this going to be a good idea? Maybe not. Maybe it is. The biggest fear people have is no one's going to show up to their event. Um, but, but if you start earlier and you start asking people for help and how to collaborate and how to hack it, and I think I like the idea of hacking spaces because yeah. you can turn every space into a different moment. You can turn, you can turn, uh, that ballroom into a playground because of the way your attitude is about it. You can call, you can, you can, you can turn it into a place of rituals. You know, every, we talked about harnessing serendipity, but every Sunday in church, what do you think God is doing? Mm. All you talk about, oh, let God do it. That's just a, a code word for serendipity. And yeah, many cases, I mean, they think God's the person doing it or the, or the, 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 the force, but serendipity is very spiritual if you think about it at that level, or it could be not spiritual if you think about it at another level. But we just don't, you know, just walking out and, you know, walking into a rainstorm and then having to ask somebody else to share an umbrella or something. And you never know that person to become your best friend for life, going into a bar and mm. getting a drink and sitting next to the person. It's those, it's those superfluous conversations. When you hack space, you're hacking, you're taking a risk too. I mean, you're the kind of guy that I know sees an opportunity and takes it because you see that person not talking to somebody. And, you know, some people have a deathly fear of it. Other people, Look at it as energizing. Fun. I used to be terrified of public speaking. Terrified. All of a sudden, I decided, you know, I'm going to start liking this. And it changes your attitude about it. And you get energized by it. And everybody, I always say that in the event world, we're not in the event business. We're in the goosebump business. Mm, I love that. Isn't that A incredible? Lot. Because do. you want, like, I use music. Whenever I do an event, also, I have a live orchestra with me or a live band or something. Now, not everybody can do that. But when I can pretend I'm um, the, you know, the the host of the late night shows uh, and I have the band riffing with me, all of a sudden, that sound gets into your voice, into, your, into the head of everybody else. And people smile. And they get goosebumps mm. when you hear a song <laughs> that you love or you hear something familiar or you hear a story that moves you. It changes your mindset. I mean, whenever you do, I go to a charity event and they have the great story of the person that overcame it or or struggled by it. You get the goosebumps, right? And you also then want to give. Um, you know, when you have a great teacher and yep. they inspire you, you get the goosebumps and you want to learn. Yeah. So that's why my secret ROI is, uh, is goosebumps. Goosebumps. <laughs> Don't you? Is that true? Doesn't that happen? I love you? it. I yeah. love it. My ROI, my secret ROI is goosebumps. I love it. Yeah. Because we're all the same. And yeah. especially when you go to sports and all of a sudden, I mean, that's a different type of high, but there's, there's this things that happen in the brain. It's the neuroscience. You talked about all of that neuropsychology, but it's the whole body. The nervous system is a magnetic field. So if you're positive, then other people will be positive around you. If you're Debbie Downer, 
the room becomes Debbie Downer. That's another way of hacking the room. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah, David, you know, I had a moment, I had a moment. uh, There was a conversation with um, Malcolm Gladwell and I had always sort of modeled my sort of thinking and style around that sort of archetype. I've always been interested in the deeper media talks and more on the Jordan Peterson side, less on the, you know, rah-rah side. And then Gladwell said something really interesting. He said that it only hit him a couple of years ago after writing, writing all these best-selling books that people only remember a few percentage points of what he's saying, but they'll never forget how he made him made them feel. And it made me realize that the emotion and story, the goosebump moments are nearly as important as this deep intellectual stuff because people don't remember it. And so talking to you right now, I'm realizing that if you don't intentionally design for these goosebump moments and marry it with intellect. I think the people fear that you only get goosebumps and no intellect, right? So how do you feel about the percentage between the intellectual knowledge versus goosebumps? What percentage should be higher or should it be 52? I think it happens together because you learn if it's fun. Fun is not fun is not a four-letter word. And <laughs> one of the things I learned about uh, there's a group company called, there's a, there's a, a program called Outward Bound where they take people on wilderness programs. And for years they were serious, serious, serious. You know, you got to be careful. It's in all safety. They started making their, their ice breaking moments more fun and it built trust faster. And when you oh, build wow. trust, then you can, your, your brain is open for learning more. That's why the music opens the, the, you know, the ability to hear. Uh, the forgetting curve is critical when you go and hear something, you forget it usually. But if you remember something that is both feeling and storytelling and goosebumps and all that, you're not going to forget it uh, as much. Yeah. Uh, Think about the great storytelling that leaves you in that moment of, huh, you know, the, you can almost do it by the different, huh, ah, all the different mm-hmm. you experience when you go to a sports uh, in, in our book, actually, a guy talks about how it's a mixing of all these emotions. Mm. Be intellectual for a bit, but you also have to lighten the moments. If you notice the best CEOs add humor to their meetings, My, the best CEOs, mm. the best leaders I've had are funny as hell. Yeah. They, they may get scary, but they'll also use humor in it too. Mm. But it, you're feeling intimidated and you're not feeling safe. You don't want to learn. Everything shuts down. The yes. parasocial, all of the different psych, you know, you probably know this better. All the, yeah. all the states of your, of your emotion to yeah. be correctly set for people to learn or feel or connect, you know, isn't the best ROI of anything when you meet and create a new friend. Wow. You know, what I'm, what I'm enjoying about, this conversation, it's, it's unlike most conversations I have on this podcast. And I wanted to have it because I genuinely feel we underestimate the role spaces play in our lives. I want to just shift quickly to talk a little bit about your process in developing this book and the people you chose to research. 
I mean, you have diplomacy experts. You have all types of people that you yeah. decided to research. Tell us a little bit about some of the sort of standout conversations yes. uh, that you had. I talk about goosebumps every time I got it got into it like i'm having goosebumps now in this conversation you feel mm. like something is like happening so I, mm. I i i met i went to this spot i met this lady who um divided the room up into your fire sign and believed in astrology and it turned out oh wow fire sign had the same they liked hot sauce or <laughs> they were fire and they so and it actually worked where people connected more and they they created menus based on your fire sign, but connected the people. They did that. Incredible. That does something called Denan Blanc, who does these dinner parties for four thousand people, uh, where they all wear white. They don't know where the party is going to be until the morning of, and they bring tables and chairs and food, and they set this up in this four thousand people in a space like in the middle of a park or in the middle of a street or somewhere, and they. They take their napkins and they start stringing around their heads and uh, like wave them. <laughs> and she's created this moment where where you're democratizing a moment. You democratize the space so that so that people are in awe of wow, wow. I've have event designers who create these incredible rooms for people, but it's not about the room. It's about democratizing the room so that you go in there and you all have equal wonder. Oh my God, look what that is. You know, that is. And, and if the neuroscience in the room talks about how the centerpieces, the flowers and the centerpiece balance the neurons in the brain. Yes. Yes. If you serve a, a hot drink. People are going to f- like it better than a cold drink and they're going to feel warmer, which makes sense. I mean, yep. so I have all these different types of people. I have a, diplomats that believe in um, this concept of hard power plus soft power equals smart power. So the soft power is when you're in the room with, you know, when you're trying to get something done with a high level person, they move the antiques around so that it's more relevant to the person in the room that they're, they're doing. I started something at the state department called the American chef Corps, where we took chefs and made them into the, into the collaboration artists in the room. Cause the, all of the, 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 the toasts were about the chefs because the chef connects. Wow. And so you use wow. the things that you thought were, superfluous that would not have been taught in a Harvard business school. And you know, <laughs> shows it's the hallways are becoming more important than ever. It's not the, the, the main session. It's the, it's the having drinks afterwards in the bar. It's, it's making sure that you have great moderators that are uh, these collaboration artists. I call them that actually connect people in small rooms and then follow up and ask them to be accountable for what they said they're going to do. Uh, so the book is filled, the book is filled with, with so many different types of people, but I did not want to make it. Uh, oh, I have, um, uh, Winton Marsalis is in the book. Yes, yes. Marsalis. A great, great artist, iconic. I know, but he talks about how after an improv session with jazz, uh, musicians, they hug. Wow. And what better way to host, uh, uh, than that? I have Wayne Parnell, Parnell, who is, He's, he started out as a um, marriage counselor, and now he goes into corporate boardrooms and is the marriage counselor between the executives, and he's using some of those techniques. Um, we have um, uh, Caitlin Walker, who is from the UK and is a specialist in what we call clean questioning, so that you know how your question, when you ask someone a question, they're usually filled with bias. 
So instead mm. of, of doing that, he makes it, she makes it so that there's no bias in the questions instead of saying, don't you hate that guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that, you know, that, that person? And so you take your own bias out of things to have discussions. Um, I have, uh, a Rod, Roger Nuren, uh, Nuremberg, who makes people, uh, he thinks that if you're conducting an orchestra, he takes people that are non-musicians and lets them conduct an orchestra and feel the power of, oh, of wow. conductor stick. And it creates an incredible thing. I have Charlie Palmer, who is one of the great um, chefs in the world, talking about how food is the ultimate collaboration tool and talk about resetting the room and having the taste buds do a lot of the talking. I mean, it's- you can and you can see that with so many different cultures, just how much food plays a role. You know, before we go on, before I forget, I'm going to introduce you to our, and I'm saying this on camera so that I have to commit to this. <laughs> I'm going to introduce you. I am a lecturer for Duke uh, Business School's Corporate Education Division. And our African Middle East office, and along with our Singaporean office and our Asian offices, we do the bulk of our training online, so virtual spaces, et cetera. And I'd like you to speak to all of our educators and lecturers and share, right now is your moment, to share a little bit about what your book shares about creating some of these goosebump moments online in virtual spaces. Well, I believe that the biggest failing that the virtual companies have done is not program to allow you to do things like I do this one event, I call it a Jeffersonian style dinner party. Now, I usually have to explain who Jefferson is to people that are international, <laughs> but he was our third president and he was very indecisive. And so he would bring people together and he would then um, have a uh, dinner party and they're called Jeffersonian dinner parties. And he controlled the conversation, which is not unlike you could do the same thing with a virtual event. And the idea is that you start with me and then go to we and then go to us. And it's not about the medium. It's about the structure of the conversation. So, mm. and, and I do believe that you have to be fairly intimate in to, to get a lot done in virtual. Like we're having a virtual conversation now. I feel like I'm totally yes. connected to you. Yes. But yes. when it's thousands of people that you always have to take that large conversation and break it down to smaller conversations. So the Jeffersonian conversation is imagine you have the big plan up, uh, big, the big sort of discussion on the training. Then you break everyone else into small groups. The small groups are where the action is. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you got to do is build trust in the small group. So I believe that, that you have to always connect in the small groups. And, and I think that, that you ask questions like what I do in my dinner parties. Is I, is I start with the me question is, what was your first job and what did you learn from it? So all of a sudden, every sort of big name person, quote unquote, you know, uh, per, person like a CEO or something, they were, they were scooping ice cream at the ice cream store. They were <laughs> babysitter. You learn and yes, you learn what yes. the pain in the ass things that they learned and that they did and they'll never do them again. But they also learn the most about customer service and the most about skill setting and the most about work. And the idea is, once again, democratizing the room is the key thing. But doing these in these smaller groups is really important. You, it's great to have the great storytelling on the larger stage. Um, the other point of doing great virtual is to allow people to solve problems together as opposed to just spoon feeding them. And uh-huh. one of the, one of the lessons I've learned from a virtual thing is 
there there's this morning dance group that um that you they used to rent out uh nightclubs um and they would have uh morning dances and yoga and they'd rent the pl- out in the morning so all the all the, the the millennials at the time i guess gen x is now would go to these morning dances and they would they would have a great time and then go off to work no drinking or anything like that and they connected and they danced it was all physical but when during the pandemic what they did is they started turning them into brainstorming sessions where they actually got a conductor uh, uh, like a a writer for a song and and producers for songs and the musicians and they did the riffs in real time with people so that everyone participated in the writing of the song so not learn but it's a way of doing you know (coughs) demonstration learning or Yes. Take a project that you don't know how it's going to end and make it a little more open. And then they remember it and then they get the goosebumps and then they listen to the song and they see what they create, help create. And I think that the virtual stuff is going to be the biggest source of global brainstorming because if they, if we create the right um, technology and the right collaboration artists that know how to do it, you're going to solve problems that you never solved in your industry. And all the people you're training, rather than thinking it as a training session, you think of it as an innovation session. Mm, I love it. I love it. You know, I am so appreciative of the years and the background that goes into harnessing serendipity. I appreciate you as an author and we're going to be in contact. I can already feel a part two coming to this conversation. Uh, David Adler, thank you so much for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. Fantastic.